0: One, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. From Diddy TV, this is Insights, a conversation-driven show where today, Amy Wright sits down with acclaimed singer-songwriter, much-admired activist, and champion of civil rights and progressive thought, Mary Gaucher. Mary made a breathtaking collection of songs that she recently released as a studio album titled Dark Enough to See the Stars, and you'll get to hear all about the inspiration behind and making of the record today. It's her 11th album, the follow-up to the profound Rifles and Rosary Beads, her 2018 collaborative work with wounded Iraq War veterans. That record garnered a Grammy nomination for Best Folk Album, as well as a nomination for Album of the Year by the Americana Music Association. So that should give you an idea of the caliber of artist Mary truly is. We're so honored to host her on the show today and excited to hear what she has to say. So without further ado, here's Amy Wright with Mary Gaucher on Insights.
1: Thanks for coming and talking to us about uh, Dark Enough to See the Stars. That's the latest album. But we kind of wanted to go back a little ways and and, uh, talk about your life and then get to the new album because that's very exciting. And um, I have to say that you're a very inspiring person. Thank you, yeah, yeah,
2: I'm a late bloomer.
1: Well, you're not only a late bloomer, but you had to overcome a lot to get to where you are. And, you know, that's an inspiring story in and of itself, but you took it to a new level. (laughs) So (laughs) you went way past what most people would have accomplished, uh, you know, having to overcome as much as you did. Um, But I thought we would go back and talk a little bit about growing up in New Orleans and uh, where it was right outside New Orleans, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Thibodeau, South so what Louisiana. Was it? So do you consider yourself kind of a New Orleans person? I mean, what was it like growing up there?
2: Well, you know, I, I think of myself as from Louisiana. Yeah. Um, but I, citizen of the world. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'm i I'm Southern because yeah. of, of being born in New Orleans, raised in Baton Rouge, and then I went... Around a bit and then back to Baton Rouge for five years of college, and then I left for good. But I, uh, I definitely uh, uh, have southern uh, heritage, and, and, and I also feel that you know the Cajun thing my last name's Gaucher, and you know, ancestors that come from eastern Canada. But I was adopted, and so I'm kind of one removed. From everything, being adopted is weird, and and so there's a mm, sort of a, a pause in it. You know, it's like I think I'm from there. I mean, I don't know. There's <laughs> a, I don't have the story, you know, of, yeah. of what happened that brought me to Earth. I just kinda woke up here. I don't have a birth story. I spent the first year of my life in a place called St. Vincent de Paul's and it was where uh, unmarried uh, women and girls went when they got pregnant. Uh, In those days the babies were put up for adoption through the Catholic Church if they were Catholic girls Uh, and I spent my first year there and was adopted by an Italian Catholic family in South Louisiana, as was my adoptive brother and other members of my extended family. So I mean, it's a tricky old story that lends itself to songwriting, that's for sure.
1: I was gonna say there's a lot of stories there. How did you sort of deal with all those those issues? I mean, there's that's a lot to deal with as a kid.
2: Well, I became a raging drug addict and a horrible (laughs) alcoholic was my first coping mechanism. (laughs) I quit school, ran away from home, uh, was deeply troubled, didn't know why, uh, and I struggled. And um, all of those strategies failed and I ended up getting sober in 1990. And after I got sober I started writing songs and songs led me to start to make sense of what had happened um, when I was a little person. I think music and song have been my salvation to be honest and and my sobriety I'm 32 years sober now and uh, congratulations thank you yeah so I wrote a book about it I've written songs about it and um, I'm just uh, able to create from from some of that that uh, confusion and it brings me uh, it brings me peace and and, I mean, I called the book Saved by a Song for a reason. I think it's been my salvation to be an artist.
1: I know the book came out last year, and I love the title, Saved by a Song. Um, what, did, what was that salvation for you? What was that turning point in your life? And was it music for you, or was it something else, and then music kind of came from that?
2: Yeah, you know, I was in the restaurant business in Boston. I had three different restaurants going. Um, I had investors who who um, put the money down and I came up with the ideas Uh, and opening night of my second restaurant I got arrested for drunk driving and that was my come to Jesus moment and I was able to get sober July 1990 and I've been sober ever since so um, I was in the kitchens for 10 years cooking and running the restaurant uh, sober uh, and started writing songs after I got brought to an open mic by one of my waitresses. Uh, and I, I just saw her up on stage singing an original song and I thought, God, I wanna do that. And I started writing songs and going to open mics and playing them. So it was a process of, uh, of becoming a songwriter. And then uh, the music and songs started to be, because I stayed sober, uh, a way of metabolizing my story in a new way. And uh, it, it slowly over time became deeply attached to my purpose. And I think that's been the long answer to a, to a, a question that you just asked, which is how did it become a salvation? Yeah. I think it attached to purpose uh, mm-hmm. and it gave me a reason to get up in the morning and it still does.
1: So when did you start playing guitar? Was that when you were younger or was that in your, as an adult?
2: Um, I had a guitar when I was a kid. I, 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 you know, I thrashed at it a little bit. I didn't get good at it. Uh, I'm still not that good at it. I got my little thing that I do. Um, But I really went to uh, the open mics with uh, a sort of a, a, a songwriter mentality. Like, I'm never, I'm too old. I started at 40, you know, I'm too old to become a great musician, but I'm not too old to become a great songwriter. And so in my estimation, I think of a musician as someone who studies the instrument, and I never did. I, 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 I studied the art form of songwriting and used the instrument to expedite that, but I'm not, I don't have a deep knowledge of, of music theory or, or, or really how to, how to professionalize my playing. But my heroes didn't either. You know, Nobody would say, John Prine, what a guitar player you know or Hank Williams boy could he play guitar Johnny Cash we we know enough to write songs and simple songs Uh, but the beauty of a simple song is that it's only simple on the surface Uh, the the emotional depths uh, of a simple song are actually quite uh, complex.
1: No it's true when you when you hear a simple song and the lyrics are so carefully chosen that even in three minutes, it can send you to tears. It's amazing, the power of words. Yeah, combined with music, Mm -hmm.
2: combined lyric music and truth, emotional truth, and you end up with uh, a pretty transformative art form uh, that uh, I think can can alchemize um, uh, trauma in some ways. I've certainly used that uh, to alchemize some of my trauma and in the work I've done with veterans um, over the last 10 years co-writing with wounded veterans using mu- music and song to articulate uh, the, the the ineffable really you can't you can't get to it with just words but melody can get in there and point to that truth that's inside this person or inside me and and then bring it out and you know I always say that songs are when they're working, they show your insides on the outside. And uh, this allows you to be seen and known. And and that is
1: how we connect. So when did you actually um, begin songwriting or music as a career? When did you make that break from your restaurants and then you transitioned to just being a musician? And was that hard? Was it hard to give up? Um, Kind of a steady gig that you obviously were good at. You had three restaurants that you were... Um, managing and um, you know music is an unknown at that point uh, what was that leap
2: yeah it was terrifying it was, it was horrifying terrifying and I tried to make myself not do it <laughs> it was so scary because like you said I had a steady gig and I was the boss and it was working yeah but I wasn't happy mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't love it the way that I did in the beginning uh, and it became a bit of an albatross. I didn't want to be responsible for all those people, and their families. And uh-huh. uh, I didn't. Uh, mm, I I I I didn't I didn't enjoy the success. Uh, the way that one would if it was your purpose. Uh-huh. Um, and so because I was so, so sober, and because in recovery they talk about. Um, uh, 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 about, about be, becoming more real. I had to be honest that what I really, really loved was music and song. I had fallen out of love with the kitchen and fallen in love with, um, with being a songwriter. And so it wasn't an event that I just quit. It was a process. You know, it, it was a whisper that became a conversation, that became me going to open mics regularly, uh, that became me making a record and then making another record. And then I got invited to play, of all things, the Newport Folk Festival. Wow. And to me, that was the universe gone. you wouldn't be on that stage if you sucked. It doesn't happen. So maybe, just maybe, you should take this seriously and go to Nashville and dedicate yourself to it. And if it doesn't work, you could always go open another restaurant, find investors and come up with another restaurant so that was my process you know I got in this sort of process after I got sober and then the universe started saying you can do this because of clues that were being dropped I won this uh, well I didn't win I was nominated for a Boston Music Award for best new artist and um, I didn't win but the nomination was astonishing like best new artist. I mean, in Boston, there's five million people playing music. And I'm one who's nominated in this category of four people. That's a validation that I had to take seriously. And so I moved to Nashville in 2001. And I've been here ever since.
1: So you pack your bags, you moved to Nashville. Do you remember arriving? And did you know people? I mean, mm-hmm. what was what was that like? Or you're just you're you're arriving cold.
2: Riving cold. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and a relationship had ended, so uh, she went her way, I went to Nashville, and I came here, uh, uh, you know, just hoping that I could figure out a few... I mean, looking back on it now, the the audacity of it all is kind of amazing to me. (laughs) Um, But I started knocking on doors, and some people answered, and I ended up with... uh, one thing that helped me is my booking agent was here in Nashville at the time I was being booked by Keith Case, uh, and he also booked Guy Clark, and he had put me on the road with Guy, and so I was opening for Guy for for quite a while there, and uh, I started banging on the door of Albanetta, who managed John Prine, begging out to let me open for John, and so I uh, I got that gig. I was able to open for John. Uh, and then I knocked on the door of Harlan Howard's songs. Harlan had just recently passed away, but his widow started working with me, and she got me a record deal on Universal Lost Highway. And then I started being connected. And uh, Nashville uh, has been uh, really good to me and uh, uh, continues to be a place where I feel very comfortable. I like, I like, I like being here. I, I like that I came here. I think it was the right place.
1: What was it like sharing the stage with John Prine? He was obviously one of your songwriting heroes. Um, When you first met him, what was that like? I was scared to death. (laughs) I would be. (laughs) It was nerve wracking, to be
2: honest, because I don't think of myself as a singer. I don't think of myself as a musician. I'm a songwriter. I'm up there croaking my way through it. But see, John feels the same way or felt the same way. Uh, he would make stage jokes about about his, uh, you know, his his scars from his cancer surgery. He's, you know, he said, it, it screwed up my voice, but nobody will notice because it was already screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was really kind to me, and he brought me up to sing Paradise at the end of every show, uh, got a verse, got to sing with him. I don't know how to sing harmony, so I just sang in tandem with him. It gave me confidence, you know. I was nervous, though. It was like... Uh, It just felt surreal, and um, you know, and I got to be on the stage with Willie Nelson, and his manager managed me for a year. Mark Rothbaum put me on the road with Willie onto the bus with uh, with that with that crew in the United Kingdom, and I'm like, I feel like Forrest Gump. Like, how is this happening to me? I I I got to sing the gospel finale finale with Willie, and uh, will the circle be unbroken? And it's a medley, and it goes on and he stands on stage and the band plays and he signs, you know, records and uh, hats and shirts and neck, neckerchiefs. And, he, you know, the band will play and play the finale thing. And it was and is still kind of amazing to me. It feels like a movie, like I'm in a movie.
1: I know Willie Nelson's like a musical shaman, you know, he's just sort of one of those people everyone's drawn to. And but, you know, here's the thing, like you said, the signs were in the universe Um, that that this is what you needed to to do with your life and you're doing it and you've been uh, incredible at it so it was obviously your calling and um, what was uh, the first album you put out um, under the label and what did that sort of how did that how did your life change after that first album
2: yeah the first album that came out uh, on the major label Universal Lost Highway is called Mercy Now Uh, and 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 that was the big springboard because of the uh, marketing budget. You know, the major label put a half a million dollars into branding my name. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. To this day, thank you. And and, um, uh, they got me uh, introduced to Mark Rothbaum, who's Willie's manager. Uh, Willie was on the label as well. Uh, And that got me into uh, a different tier of uh, opportunities. Um, and they got me on CBS Sunday Morning and uh, big, big things that uh, brought me into the public eye and ears uh, that, uh, to this day, I still ride the momentum of that. And I still work with the publicist that was at that label. That label folded. Uh, everybody that worked there scattered and, and went into uh, other jobs. But the publicist that was on Lost Highway is still my publicist, Jim Flamia. We've been together for 20 years.
1: We love yeah. Jim.
2: <laughs>
1: He's I, great.
2: I can't imagine working with anybody else. He's my guy. And, um, and so I got to keep him, uh, thankful. Um, and uh, the, the experience was great because even though it was a major label, it was an imprint off of a major label and we didn't have the same uh, rules. Uh, there weren't mandates to have to have hits and be on the radio and be commercial. It wasn't that way. Uh, it was, you know, Lucinda, Ryan Adams, um, myself. For a while, it was Hayes Carl and, and uh, Tiff Merritt. Uh, and they put out the cash records on American recordings that uh, ran through Lost Highway. And so there were, you know, outsiders, outlaws, and, and people who just didn't play by the rules. And that was fun.
1: So do you like performing as well? Mm,
2: I love being on stage, yeah. Yeah, I love, I love being, uh, I'm a troubadour at heart. Um, when I left the restaurant business, it was my deepest wish to not have to run a large number of people uh, employed by me ever again. I just didn't, I don't have the disposition for it. And uh, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be responsible for me. And that's kind of what I've done. I'm a troubadour. Spotlight, bottle of water, bar stool, stories and songs. And uh, you know, I'll hire a band for some festivals, and I'll hire a band uh, probably for the Franklin Theater CD release show. But that's a one of or a couple of shows. I don't have a touring band or a bus or all those things that I didn't want. You know, I I kind of like the freedom of of it of it being a troubadour career, and I. Um, um, I travel light, and I, I, I love the freedom of it.
1: You know, you, um, you mentioned your work with, with veterans and co- co-writing songs with veterans, and you put out in 2018, you released Rifles and Rosemary Beads, and you co-wrote the songs with veterans. How did this project come about?
2: Yeah, I've been a part of a nonprofit that paired songwriters with uh, wounded veterans. And I started writing songs uh, with the wounded veterans. They're not songwriters, but they have story. And we just bear witness and, and, and help, help tell their story. And so these songs started piling up. And at a certain point, I asked for permission to make a record of, of 10 of them. Uh, and it went on uh, to be called Rifles and Rosary Beads. And the, uh, the experience of putting that out into the world was incredible, being able to tell the veterans stories and sort of help build a bridge across the civilian-military divide because we have that in this country. There's uh, a real separation between those who've served in their families and those those who who are, are civilians. And helping to explain some of, of what our, our veterans go through and are going through uh, has been a real privilege. And um, uh, I have I still, to this day, play those songs and, and I have uh, An affinity for it. Um, It's a it's a privilege.
1: Was it cathartic for the veterans as well to kind of get their story out there? Yeah. Oh yeah. Imagine it would would be.
2: Oh yeah, because it helps people to understand something that they can't explain. You can't when you have when you have deep trauma. There's no words. It's ineffable. But music has the ability to go where words cannot reach even poetry, even metaphor. Music can creep
1: in and explain. How did you draw the story out of them?
2: Well, bearing witness in non-judgment, creating safety, really listening, not inserting myself um, and not asking them to recount their most traumatic moments, but just listening uh, and uh, figuring what it is that they want it to say and are comfortable saying and, and, and using that as the springboard. Um, and the songs almost write themselves when you have some, someone with you who has such story inside them.
1: So let's talk about the, uh, the new album dark enough to see the stars. It's being released on 30 tigers. And I, I had the privilege of, uh, Listening to the whole album and it, I love every song. It's just beautifully written. The melodies are gorgeous. Um, you must be really proud of this album.
2: Thank you. I am. It it is a uh, labor of love. This record is uh, is complicated in that it's the story of mature adult love. I'm in a I'm in a wonderful relationship with a beautiful person and I'm happy, and that has not been my story for most of my life. So like yay before I die I get to have this and so it's it's just joyful and then there's also the complexity of what's playing on in the background is the pandemic and grief and loss and people that are close to me passing away and so there's this complex uh tangled um tricky emotional story of of romantic love and grief happening simultaneously in my life and and uh a sense of wonder at all of it. Um, It's been a surreal couple of years. It really has
1: for all of us. It has been a surreal couple of years. And I think there's some positives and negatives that were going on. I mean, I think a lot of us that had to slow down and that wasn't the worst thing, but um, it took us out of our routines and just put us in a whole new world. We didn't really um, comprehend that well. Uh, what were you doing during the pandemic? Were you writing these songs, but were you doing other things as well?
2: Well, I finished the book during the pandemic mm-hmm. in the early stages, and then it came out in 2021. So that gave me, you know, I'm off the road completely. So I just was able to sit and focus and finish the manuscript and get that to the get that to the finish line was a big deal. Uh, and uh, and then I, I uh, definitely uh, upped my game with co-writing. Uh, and also every Sunday we did a live stream from here in the office and uh, reached out to the listeners around the world and, 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 and I'm, still, I'm still doing that on Sunday afternoons when I'm not on the road. Um, and people love the uh, the intimacy of it. It's not a a polished professional television show. It's a live stream from my office. I call it Sunday with Mary. Uh, and I'm, I'm having friends come over now. Yesterday Alison Mora dropped in and and we just swapped songs. And I'll bring musical friends in, and and sometimes I'll just do a solo. Sometimes I'll read from the book. I'll take questions. So we pivoted pretty quickly uh, to the live stream format, uh, and I used the time uh, to to complete this song cycle uh, and uh, uh, get this record uh, uh, to the finish line as well, and the book.
1: So when you wrote Saved by a Song, was that... uh like a pivotal moment in your life, just like I can talk about all this and put it behind me? Or is it, did you have to reach a certain place in your life that you could even do that?
2: Well, you know, the honest reason why I wrote the book is because I got a, a book deal. You know, mm-hmm. They paid me to write the book, and that became my job. I'm going to write the book. Now, I always wanted to write a book, but the level of difficulty in writing a book is, is so high that I probably would have never done it unless I was given this opportunity to do it for a publisher. Um, and so I'm grateful for St. Martin's Press for bringing me on board and, and giving me a deadline and and um, making it my job. You write the book because your, your job is to write this book. Um, but the beauty of the book is that it gave me a deeper understanding of, uh, I don't know, the events of Of my life and and the way that one thing led to another and how music and song has been such an important part of my recovery and how i was able to take what i learned and use it to help uh, uh, other people dealing with trauma and how they were able to then help other people in the chain of of service that radiates outward Uh, when one person gets sober uh, is is pretty incredible
1: well you know dark enough to see the stars is um, sort of, when I just read the title, it made me think of clarity. And I wasn't sure what your intention was, and I hadn't listened to all the music at that point, but that's the first thing that came to mind was, um, I can, I've achieved clarity in some way. What, what, did, what did the title mean to you?
2: I think that's a wonderful insight. Um, my sense is that, is that, um... Growth comes through pain, though. Growth doesn't come through a desire to grow. Growth comes through pain. I'm talking about emotional, spiritual growth because it gets our attention. And once it has our attention, we're given opportunities uh, to internalize some lessons. Uh, And so clarity is a great way of looking at that, that that sense of of what matters. Uh, the focusing of the lens of the camera. Uh, it happens when we're grieving and when we're in pain. And pain can be purposeful if we get the lesson or if I get the lesson. Uh, and um, honestly, I think the 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 metaphor came from a Dr. King speech and what he was mm-hmm. talking about was the lash of of racism and oppression in America. Uh, and uh, offering this metaphor as, as, as a ray of hope to the people he was talking to, uh, and that's I bring it as a ray of hope as well, that we've been in in quite a dark time, uh, but we've had this opportunity, to focus on what is important and and what does matter, and uh, and do I want to live the rest of my life? Uh, in a relationship with what matters and now that I've been given some idea of what matters, I've been slowed to a halt, um, I don't know, what do I do with that and uh, for me the the real answer is I want to love people better and be more present.
1: So where did you record the album?
2: In Nashville. Um, I recorded it in East Nashville uh, with Dylan Aldridge and uh, at the dials and Uh, Nielsen Hubbard as a producer. And the band is all Nashville uh, people. And uh, uh, we had a a really good time doing it. Everybody uh, was uh, vaccinated and we didn't have to wear masks. And we
1: uh, went into the studio and did it in, um, in five days. Was it fun to be back with people? It sounds like it was during that time when we were all kind of in our corners and not being able to see anybody. I remember feeling very isolated, and when we finally started to be able to be in person again, it was, I'll never take it for granted, let me just say that.
2: It was, it was It was right after, um, right after the vaccines came out and people um, started to uh, uh, get that sense of, um, uh, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, you know, and, and um, also, I think uh, um, a lot of us had had been on the road uh, uh, and uh, had gotten off the road. And then once we got vaccinated, we felt we could go back on the road. And then Omicron came and we realized, oh shoot, everybody's getting COVID even though they're vaccinated. And then started to realize, well, if you're vaccinated and you get Omicron, you're not gonna have as serious uh, illness as if you weren't vaccinated and that was the time we got the second shot, I think, if I remember right. And then we went in the studio. But it's blurry, isn't it? Like, I think I've had three shots at this point.
1: Yeah, no, I had three shots and then I got COVID, just like you're describing. And uh, and then I said, okay, I got that monkey off my back now. I can just not worry about this anymore. The vaccine worked. You know, I just have to keep going back in for whatever booster they offer. <laughs>
2: That's how i feel about it one yeah think once i had it, i was vaxxed triple vaxxed and i got it yeah uh, no was double and i got it and and i realized wow the vaccine's working uh this is pretty miserable but i'm not in the hospital i don't want to get it again but there's also a relief uh in that um, uh i didn't end up being one of the ones that would be end up hospitalized yeah. in spite of being vaccinated there's some relief in that
1: and absolutely natural
2: immunity <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know. I felt pretty um, emboldened after I had it. I said, "Hey, you know, I can go anywhere now."
2: <laughs> right for a little while, anyway. For
1: a little while, I got a short period of time to run out and see some shows and big stadiums and whatever else. Um, let's talk about some of the songs on the album. It starts with uh, the meadow, which I thought was, uh, you know, kind of a beautiful uh, metaphor. Um, tell me about tell me about that song.
2: Yeah, I wrote that song with. Uh my, one of my favorite co-writers, Ben Glover, a songwriter uh, who's from Belfast. Uh, he lives in Nashville now, but when I met him and started writing with him, he lived in uh, uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland. Um, and it's from uh, an inspiration that we got f- uh, from a book written by Odie Lindsay, who is a Vanderbilt professor and also a veteran. Uh, and uh, it, the book takes uh, take place in Mississippi Uh, lower southern Mississippi and it's written from the perspective of a female veteran who comes home and is trying to rebuild her life Uh, and so in my mind that's who the narrator is in that song driving uh, you know Highway 90 uh, that that famous highway down the Gulf Coast and trying to make sense of her marriage uh, and and how to stay trying to figure out
1: how to stay it's hard to stay when you're highly traumatized it is hard to stay when you're highly traumatized. And I remember you mentioned uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi, in the song, and I've been yeah. there many times. So, Yeah, me the, too. Yeah, the, uh, there's nothing like kind of being along the coast uh, of, uh, you know, that Gulf Coast area through Mississippi, Alabama, Florida. It's
2: beautiful and part the, of the world,
1: it, and it's a vulnerable part
2: of the world. You know, hurricanes hit hard down there, and the barrier islands don't protect it. And it's, you know, the, the, those towns are dangling, you know, and and the coasts are eroding, and it's it's haunted and gorgeous and southern, and it's got all of that weight. Uh, it's a, it's an incredible part of our country.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we are, speaking of that, we are on the Gulf today. I feel um, it. Yeah, the... Uh, our studios in Memphis, that's where we where the network is and that's where we normally are, but we are filming down here and we happen to be doing this your interview from the Gulf Coast and uh, we had Perfect. a big storm earlier and it's just beautiful. There's nothing like it standing out on the balcony and you know just the power of the water and the waves and the everything mighty, else. The
2: mighty Gulf, yes indeed.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just beautiful. So let's talk about Amsterdam. Amsterdam is uh, a single that you released. Um, I happen to love Amsterdam. Uh, I went to Amsterdam to see the Starry Night Van Gogh painting, and it was on loan to some museum in the U.S. In New York City. (laughs) Right. It was in New York City at the time. But I still had a blast in Amsterdam, and there's so much going on there. But what what does Amsterdam mean to you?
2: Well, I'm very familiar with Holland. My first record deal was in '97 on a Dutch label. In fact, I know that the Sorry Story Night painting is at the Kruller muller Museum, which is outside of Amsterdam, right in, in its natural uh, placement. I don't they do tour these paintings, but uh, um, the Dutch people have been really good to me. I've spent a lot of time in Amsterdam, written a lot of songs in Amsterdam. It's one of my favorite cities, and I got to go there last summer. Uh, with my partner Jamie and it was such a a joy to to be back and the song captures that like my favorite person my favorite city my favorite hotel is like we're here it's working <laughs> this is great and um, it, it just is a just a unapologetically joyful song that it, it celebrates sort of getting out of the house getting out of the country getting back to what we do uh, it was that little window between Delta and Omicron, I think, when we thought the vaccines were a fix-all, uh, and uh, I, we had that week there, and uh, you know, we started writing the song uh, in the hotel room.
1: One of the other favorites on the album that was "Truckers and Troubadours." I liked the I liked the title of it, but I liked the song. I just thought it was great. Uh, Thank tell you. Tell me a yeah. little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I wrote that with. Uh, uh, I wrote that on Zoom, with a long haul truck driver. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, the only people on the roads were truckers, and uh, sure. we caught him uh, in between a haul. Uh, we, being myself and Darden Smith, the co-founder of Songwriting with Soldiers, and uh, Paul, Paul is a friend. And Darden said, "Well, let's write a let's write a song with with long haul Paul." I'm like, "Great!" So we hopped on the Zoom and did a three three way write and. We realize, because Paul said, you know, when I listen to you and Darden talk, it sounds like a bunch of truck drivers talking at a cafe. I'm like, troubadours and truckers have a lot in common. We're sort of uh, uh, similar personality types, uh, malcontents. You know, we, we, all we can think about is we want to get home, and when we get home, all we can think about is we want to get back on the road, and that's just how we do our life. And so we just started drawing the parallels in the, in the verses uh, around the life of a truck driver and a troubadour and realized, gosh, you know, we're kindred.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure truckers have a lot of stories to tell as well, right? They do. They see a lot. They see a lot more than most people do.
2: They do. They meet people along the way. They do.
1: And they were our saviors during COVID.
2: <laughs> they definitely kept things uh, stocked. If without the mm-hmm. truck drivers, and there were no rest stops for them, by the way, there were no restaurants mm. for them. Everything was shut down, mm. and so that's why Darden said, "Man, let's let's do this with Paul. Let's 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 give something back to this guy. He's given us a lot, and that's such a good impulse." Yeah.
1: So you finished up the album with "Thank God for You," and um, why did you finish the album with that particular song? And tell me a little bit about it because. It, it seemed there was joy in it. Um, there was also um it seemed like it was almost about a particular person that meant something to you, but I wasn't sure. yeah,
2: I think it's about uh, the the uh, for me it, it it it's a story song about finding love and and the relief of finding love later in life and knowing that this isn't a given and there's this just absolute gratitude that comes from finding your person uh in 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 a miraculous way later in life in all your broken glory and and agedness uh, and having it be right there's a magnificence to that that is glorious and uh, the only thing I could think of is, is thank God for you. You know, that this sense of, of, um, acceptance of me, of who I am and, and all of my, you know, imperfection to say the least. Um, you know, I didn't find love young. It didn't work for me. I was just too much of a mess and a wreck. And in my defense, it wasn't all my fault. I had a pretty rough start. And I had a lot to work through. Uh, and I didn't understand that I really wasn't relationship material myself. Uh, and um, and all of that information and all of that work um, culminated in preparing me for for what was next. and um, you know, uh, I guess the song is a celebration of 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 having this connection to this person that uh, uh, I didn't know I would live long enough and get healthy enough to have. Uh, and yeah, it is about Jamie, my partner, but it's also about doing the work and finding the person. It, it's, it's about me, but it's also uh, more than that. It's not, not everybody is, is able to do this when they're young because of trauma and addiction, and hard stories. It's hard. And it's really hard
1: to find the person that you love. Uh, I, My husband and I met each other when we were close to 40. And so uh, we were late to that game as well. And uh, I think there's a lot of self-doubt and wondering whether is there something wrong with me? And maybe sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't. But I think that... Um, we're all blessed if we can find that other person that really amen. loves us.
2: Yeah, amen. And so much of it
1: has to do with timing,
2: and so much of it has to do with just, I think, dumb luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm not one thinking of th- who thinks this is all destined. Like, no, I had to work real hard and change parts of myself that uh, that needed work. Uh, and still do in a lot of ways, but, but that didn't mean that I was gonna absolutely then find the person, like it, it, it kind of blessed luck.
1: Well, I'm so happy for you. It sounds like you're in an awesome place in your life with, a, with a gr- lots of good, great things going on personally and professionally. Um, the new album is, is incredible and uh, I guess you're gonna go out on tour soon so everyone will get to see you soon.
2: We're hitting the road pretty hard with this one, yeah. I'll be out for quite a while. As many uh, tour dates as they can get me, that's how many we're gonna play. It'll be, it'll be at least a, a solid year of running around, COVID willing.
1: Well, let us know if you're gonna be in Memphis. We'd love yes. to have you by the studio, so. I would like that, thank you. And Mary, have a great week. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Appreciate talking to you, thank you, Amy.
0: Thanks so much to Grammy-nominated and internationally adored singer-songwriter Mary Gaucher for stopping by to chat all about her latest record, the heartbreaking, yet inspiring, dark enough to see the stars. Mary's visions of progress and the way she intuitively uses her voice in songwriting is truly admirable and worth learning more about, so we hope you enjoyed listening and that you'll do everything you can to support this courageous artist. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in today, and we hope to see you again real soon right here on Insights.